Now, Podcast One brings you Spike's Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Excellent. Welcome to Spike's Car Radio, everybody. Uh, we got a good show today, Zuckerman. It's going to be good. Uh, hot Rodder, Rod Emery. Is going to be here. Is he? He's a hot rodder, right? Porsche outlaw guy. He is, and I'm going to tell Owner you something. Owner proprietor of uh, Emory Motorsports. And what guess are you what? Tell me? I've never met the guy. And you've never met Rod. Well, great. I've never met Rod. You would think a guy with the money I have and the shit he has to get. <laughs> he, he would be. He would be pl- exciting. Look, we're already. He, do you think he, there's a possibility he might extract money out of you today? Well, he, was, he should be looking at me like a sautéed pork chop right now. <laughs> Someone to pluck a chicken. I and this is going to happen now. If I took you down to his shop, I've been there many times, and I love Rod. He's a sweetheart of a guy, and his work is unparalleled. His outlaw work, I love it. If you go down to that shop, and I've never had an appetite to buy one of his cars or to or to have one of them outlawed, you go down to the shop, you, you're dead. You immediately see what he's doing, and you want, you want. yeah. Anyway, you want, but I think he also is a great restorer too. He is. He We're going to get into all of that, Zuckerman. I don't want to get wow. too far ahead of it. Look, I was at. Uh, have you been down to the uh, LA Auto Show? I was. I know. There's people there. I don't want to be there. <laughs> I, I never want to go to this thing either. And Porsche called me up and said, please come down and look at our uh, Porsche thing that we got going on. Do you on know there. what it makes me feel like to be with slow-moving people, shuffling their feet, their feet are barely leaving the carpet, and yes. you're stuck in the midst of all of those, all of that Who want to talk. They all want to get around, and they, I, want, they want to chit-chat. You know, you're forgetting about the fact that your feet hurt because you walk 10 miles before you see the first car, and your skin gets hot like copy paper. And, you know, somehow you're sweating and cold at the same time. And then you ask me if I want to go there. Yeah, let's go. Because they got cars. There's no way. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what they had down there. They had, and this is really interesting to me, They, you know, the cars that we like. And Porsche has its own wing. And you walk in and, and, uh, you know, you see everybody from Magnus to, uh, you know, all the Porsche guys. I know Rod, I'm sure, was there. And they had the GT2 RS. Okay. On one side, and they had this in their little lineup there. They had the GT2 RS. On the far end of these three cars, they had the touring package GT3, which I sat in and Very I played exciting. with. It. And in between it, they had the 911T, the new touring entry level lightest 911. You know the car we, I'm talking about, I'm right? Count, we we talk, last time I said they are going to be a mass producer of specialty vehicles. But isn't that interesting that All they right. put that car between these two? Because great it's cars? new. It's and new. It's, some, it's, it's something that the average person can actually afford that's special. That's special, right? Everyone wants special. No one wants to be normal. No one wants I regular. I think this is a car for the purest on a budget, right? The Porsche purest on a budget. It, it had the little fabric door pulls. It just looked like uh, the two between the three cars sitting there, that would be the one I would probably drive 200,000 miles right. on. And, and, I, and it kind of... But it does kind of remind me of an RS America 964. Yeah, it's a not bit. Mu- it's not much of anything but door pulls and a, and right. a couple of gimmicks. Right. I, I sat in the GT2 RS, by the way. And? It, it makes you crazy. It instantly really? makes you crazy. It's, I, it's one of the most beautiful creations ever. It's, it's insane. I, I predict that, uh, you know, you and I are, are splitting one, right? We're yes. still doing that? Yes. I predict we, we put about 700 miles on it total. <laughs> it's going to be one of those, huh? It's one of those. One of those. It's going like, to be the greatest thing to drive twice a year. But will, you know, where, you it, know. Like a Carrera GT? Like a Carrera GT? 
or an no, RS 4.0. No, 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 a lot easier than a Carrera GT. Okay, RS 4.0. But 4. somewhere 0. between a GT3 RS, this last ver- uh, version, and a Carrera GT. That's where I'd put this in the drivability cat- category. Right. What do you think? Well, you know what? I don't disagree with you. 700 horsepower designed to go around the <laughs> ring 10 seconds faster than the 918. I don't. It doesn't sound like it was really Where designed. Where are we doing that around here? Have you ever been in a GT2? I've been on the track in a GT2, and both times it scared the crap out of me. Because I'd be blasting around at like 80 miles an hour, just have a little kink in the track, and I would lose the back end of the car. And go, and I would go, what? Where do you feel that? Do you feel that in the lower part of your bowels, your stomach, or your heart? <laughs> but it, it terrifies me. Cars like that terrify me on the track because it just in a moment when you're not thinking, like you, a, a road rager an accomplished road rager, in a moment when you're not thinking, you might take that right into a telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a great idea for, for okay. this L.A. car show. Yes. We get two cardboard cutouts of ourselves, and we send those <laughs> to the car show, car show, and we have pictures taken. Look, our cardboard cutouts are enjoying that yes, car. Yes, they are enjoying the car. Well, there, you know, I'll tell you what else was uh, very prominent was uh, plug-in vehicles were everywhere. I don't know if I showed you, but they have they have Range Rovers and Range Rover Sports that you plug into an electrical. What does thing. that do to Tesla? <laughs> what is it? Everybody was show, especially Volkswagen, who was in deep shit over the diesel scandal. Eh, they were just that? rolling out like fifty electric vehicles, and it's uh, it's coming on strong. But the the most off putting image for me was this Range Rover autobiography or whatever it was. Plug in. Range Rover plug <laughs> that, that you plug it into the imagine, wall. Can you imagine what that does to the lights? <laughs> Talk about a brownout. <clears throat> what, um, it, it, it's just, it just didn't seem what Range Rover was all about, right? It, it, it seemed odd, so but I don't know. I guess we're all going to have to. Are get the used Mission to that. E cars plug in, or they just, or they somehow charge themselves? Ooh, that's a good question. They, I, they're all no, they can't charge themselves. They're all electric. That's not possible, right? I don't know. No, but it, you know, interesting that that Tesla last week uh, or two weeks ago rolled out that little uh, Tesla uh, two seater that they say is going to be faster. Than the Mission E. I couldn't help but think that that was a direct attack on the Mission E. Do you know the car I'm talking about? I'm very impressed with this Elon Musk dude. Did you read the Rolling Stone article about him? He's, no. He's, he's weird. I'm not going to spend em- any time on this guy. He's weird. He's emotional. But he does. <laughs> he does. He does change the world. Well, I, I, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but I thought I read it was this car, this Roadster, this new one is 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds. What does that do to your bowels? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wonder if it's re- – I mean, there's a lot of conjecture on whether it's real or not, whether that's a real car or whether that could really happen. But that's pretty fast, Z. <clears throat> well, we, 1.9 seconds? Well, we get to teleportation. That's what we eventually we're going to be <laughs> yeah, – you're going to be there faster than time. At what point do you accelerate so quickly that you die? That's my question. Well, let's just take a look at Abbott and Costello go to the go to the moon. <laughs> All right. Well, Rod Rod Emery's here. I can see him walking in. Here he comes right now. He's very excited. Hi, Rod. How you doing? Good Rod to see Emery, you. How are you? <clears throat> Good. Good Do you that. know the real Zuckerman, We've Paul Zuckerman? Met. We've never, met. We've never I officially know virtually, met. but not for real. Really? Sit so down, much. sit down, and get on a mic. So you know him virtually. You see him on Instagram. I do. Yeah. I do. Keep yeah. your keep close to the mic there. Okay. Um, what What do you like about Zuckerman's feed? 
Well, I'll put him on the spot. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. Tell, well, tell you know, uh, tell no, the truth. No, what what I liked about it is great photography, right? And 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 <laughs> I, it's okay. And amazing cars. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, which you know, it's for me. That's what it's about. I mean, right. I, I love Instagram just because it gives us all an opportunity to kind of peek into each other's little keyholes. I know what he likes the peek best. Peek into our keyhole, Zuckerman. Peeking. I like peeking <laughs> peeking. and peeping. 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 No, peeping. let's not talk about peeping, peeping through keyholes. But, but I know which but, one he likes the best. Which one? The 59 Carrera GT, the ice racer. Mm. I would well, guess. Maybe right, maybe wrong. You know, that is. That's a pretty slick little car, yeah. you know. <clears> um, <throat> I, I think the first time I saw that car was uh, at Dana Point a few years ago. That's yeah. What, yeah. yeah. I remember the first time I found it in a magazine. And, and and sent it to Seinfeld, as I often do. Things yep. I can't afford. Can you buy this? And he bought it. And uh, somehow this clown ended up with it. Yeah, and well, you Have know, you ever put the it's... ice, t- uh, the spike tires on it? <laughs> to go where? <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> that might be the first thing that I do is put spike tires on that thing and drive well, around course, LA. Well, of course, Spike would put yeah. spike tires <clears throat> yes. on it, right? You yeah. know? This is the now. Who is the racer in that car? Simon. S- Simon, Simon Bostrom. Simon yeah. Bostrom, Swedish ice racing car. It had thin little tires on it. And if you imagine, like what, two or three inch spikes on it, and it would race around in these uh, ice racing competitions in Sweden. Right? Yeah. Do I have it right? Yep. yep. Wow. And, and, and someone <clears throat> put those spikes in the tires. Those were put on by hand, right? Yeah. They're. I mean, they're hammered through basically from the inside. They're amazing. So how does tires. that work? You hammer it. How well, does that not make the tire flat? Well, there's a couple different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a couple. There, there's That's a lot. A good question. Yeah, Why are you laughing at that? It's just funny. There's a lot of different ways they do them. I mean, some. You know, sometimes they're they're screws. They go in from the kind of from the back or from mm-hmm. the from the outside and then a lot of times when they do spike them through the inside then they put a liner on the inside that mm-hmm. uh, that then will keep like the tube from being punctured so are, are there yeah i know how many know. ice racing 356s are out there not very many but you know uh <clears throat> jeff zwartz uh, little gamund was a swedish ice racing his car. was too it was yeah wow. yeah i didn't and that, know that. that car's in my shop right now so that wow. was a that was a swedish ice ice racer before it came here it's hard to say swedish ice swedish, swedish, swedish. how do yeah. those swedish things ice how does the gamund drive like a 49 Volkswagen. Really? Now, I mean, it's they're, they're pretty amazing little cars. I mean, they're really lightweight. Like the right. SLs, well, you know, the the 356 SL that I restored, you know, the, the Le Mans right. cars um, got a lot of <laughs> camshaft, right? So it's a lot of slip in the clutch. And, right. and, you know, the car's really lightweight. You know, a regular Gamund is a little bit more, you know, civilized. Um, it's got a little bit more interior, and, and uh, the engine is a little easier to drive. Mm-hmm. So it, it drives like an old Volkswagen. Okay, but can you feel the, the 356-ness in it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's going to have, uh, you know, a 356 just runs a little smoother than, a than you know, a Volkswagen, just the way that, you know, just everything about them, the way that the, the mm-hmm. car is put together. Um, but when you're driving them, I mean, you can't deny the fact that it's it's a 356. So, you Rod, know? you know, we were just there's talking so about the L.A. Auto Show. Yep. Well, you were down there. I saw on your feed. No, I was at the Porsche Design oh, launch at the new uh, the new Porsche Design man. store. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, Do you I, go to the L.A. Auto Show? Do you yeah. like auto shows? You know, I, I, I kind of steer away from the <laughs> Why? auto shows. Again, another one. Why do you steer away? Um, because I'm in the shop. 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. Right. and I'm banging away on cars and so and, what you, and most of the guys that I really want to see uh, will come and visit me. Right, so, right. You know. How do you if you're working that hard? How how many Instagram posts are you doing a day? Like I two. try to do maybe one or two, maybe. <laughs> I feel piggish yeah, with I, two, right? I, I do about two. Every once in a while, three. If You've I'm got a, really excited, just to kind of keep people uh, engaged in what we're doing. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge following. Well, let's get let's uh, you know I want to start. 
uh, with you at the at the beginning. You know, yeah. you're a third generation third builder. Generation. I am. Yeah. The, you know this this yeah. Emory Motorsports started uh, with you, right? And your it wife. Did. But what was going on back in the beginning? Who's grandpa? Uh, yeah. And what was his deal? Well, my grandpa Neil Emery uh, grew up in Burbank, uh, and in the early well, he was born in the 20s and and um, had actually uh, I think 1912. But he uh, went to uh, you know, high school, all the, you know, went all the way through school here in Burbank. Uh-huh. And when he was 12 years old, he was or 11 years old. He was delivering newspapers uh, into Luca Lake mm-hmm. and then uh, met somebody that was uh, uh, over at Warner Brothers that had their car per- parked in a dirt parking lot when he was in high school. And uh, he said, hey, you know, can I clean your car for you? <laughs> and then he noticed that everybody else's cars were just as dirty. So he had a little card box, and he was detailing cars in the Warner Brothers parking lot. In 19? In, in the 20s. <laughs> wow. Right? But okay. the world was made of dirt. Yep. <laughs> and, and he's cleaning the cars, right? Charlie and, Chaplin's and then, car, right? And then Who a couple has these, a car at that point? A couple, the yeah. Keystone cops. There were, there were a handful <laughs> of guys, and, you know, and, of course, they were all dark colors. And, uh-huh. you know, so – uh, and then what happened was these guys were like, hey, you know, can you take it and get the oil changed? Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have, even have a driver's license. But it just kind of led into this thing where he's kind of, you know, facilitating the service and maintenance on some of these cars. And then next thing you know, can you customize it a little bit? And, and that led to just his love for cars and being mm-hmm. around them. And then, um, you know, the war came and he was enlisted, went to Alameda Military Base and uh, thought he was being shipped overseas. My dad was born just shortly after that. But – uh, while he was at Alameda, uh, one of the generals crashed their car at night, probably a little bit of shenanigans, you know, and asked uh, if there was anybody that knew any body and paint. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather hadn't really done any, but he raised his hand and said, I'm up for it. He ended up hammering out the fenders, doing wow. the bodywork, and they made him head of the motor pool at Alameda Military no Base. No kidding. So he never got shipped off to war. Instead, he... Did the maintenance and repair, and then when the cut, when the when the generals had a little spare, when there was a little spare time, he started actually doing some custom work on their cars while he was enlisted. Then so he very organically gets it. it are there no? It, there's no such thing as an auto body shop and a paint shop back then. Does well, it there not was. exist, or yeah. they're just there was. You need yeah. to know a guy. There's no yellow pages or nah, anything. No, there's you no, gotta... there's no Mako and right, uh, right. you know. And, cheap, and, and yeah. I'm thinking about detailing, like no McGuire's, no, <laughs> no, no problems. No. Yeah, there's no nothing. Just, right. So he's just inventing different. it pretty he's, much. He's kind of just rolling with it, right? <laughs> right. And so then gets out. Of, gets <laughs> what is the metal they're banging on back then? Is it aluminum or no? It's steel. It's steel. Yeah, and it's thick. It's it's real steel. It's nice and thick. You know. And and you had to you had to manhandle it, and mm-hmm. so he was banging fenders, in the, you know, during the war, gets out of the war, and he and his brother-in-law uh, in 1947 decided let's you know start this business, and they got a little building, kind of actually, it's on the street up from where Leno's place is. Mm-hmm. It's like this small little tiny building, and uh, started uh, doing some hot rodding and custom car stuff, and then uh, in 1948. Uh, his best friend, uh, Dean Batchelor, uh, you guys know that name. He was, uh, you know, editor of Road and Track and mm-hmm. one of the, the most legendary, uh, you know, writers in, in automotive history and journalism. He um, had this idea that he wanted to break the land speed record. And in uh, 1948, <laughs> he sketched an envelope-bodied streamliner mm-hmm. and had Alex Exidius, who uh, started SoCal Speed Shop, build the platform, build the chassis wow. and flathead. And then my grandfather. What is the land speed record at that point? Forty-eight miles. Well, oh, there was hour? a lot of different. There, there's obviously different classes, but they were going for, um, uh, you know, a, a, 
like an envelope bar, or like a streamliner right. um, speed record. Breaking with, a ton, as they with say. A, with <clears throat> a flathead. Mm-hmm. And they uh, their goal was to, you know, go 150, 175 wow. miles an hour. I can't Think even imagine. Think about that in those kind of vehicles. Yeah. Right. Boy, I get about, nervous at 100. We were just talking about where you feel speedster. fear. What part of your bowels? Just all of a sudden, yeah, you're just, you're See, sketched you out. Got, your, your grandpa knew Eddie Meyer and Bud Meyer, all those guys. All those guys. Because wow. it was all, the hot rodding culture, mm-hmm. you know, began right here in the valley, you know, right on right, the other side right, of the hill in the valley. Right. So, so um, Dean said, let's build this thing. So my grandfather built a complete aluminum body, and that was that's the car that everybody knows as the SoCal Streamliner, wow. which was the first hot rod over 200 miles an hour. Wow. And uh, that led into just, you know, my grandfather uh, was, a, was a very – uh, subtle customizer, but drastic but subtle. So everything he did was was hard to pick out. Mm-hmm. But he really pioneered channeling and sectioning cars. Really? You know, Barris and Winfield and those guys, they chopped tops and, you know, did kind of wild fins and all kinds of stuff. My grandfather went the kind of hard route to mm-hmm. meet out of the middle of the car because he loved the European styling cars. You know, European styling was a lot thinner in the body and a lot sleeker. And, uh, you know, he loved the old Cicitalias. He loved all the, you know, the early pre-war stuff that came out of Europe. And mm-hmm. he just, he kind of, ins- you know, introduced some of that styling into the hot rods, custom cars. That he was did building. you did you get to work with him? As it, and how old were you when that started? Yeah, so. This is the coolest grandpa story is, ever, right? Unbelievable. So, so what was gran- your grandfather doing, Zuckerman? <laughs> he was driving a cab from 29 to 85. That's a pretty, that's cool, a pretty job. cool story, yeah, too. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, he, you had, he had him, one right? of those little change things that, you know, like at the carnival where you, where you <laughs> click out the, the pennies, nickels. That's what he would give me for, for Hanukkah. <laughs> I'd get a change maker. Wow, wow. how that's cool is so that? funny. One of my grandfathers was weights and measures in New Bedford, Massachusetts. So he went around to the delis and made sure no one was putting their thumb on the scales or that gas right. wasn't the – and the other right. one was a, a gyno, a doctor, OBGYN. He was a little – You could have picked that up like Rod. He never picked let me his, in. His skill set. Well, I did in certain ways, but oh, – oh, <laughs> You know what else my grandfather gave me? One of those balls that you put on the steering wheel. Oh, yeah. Oh, he the gave Brody you knob. A Brody knob. Yeah, oh, Brody knob. Yeah. The they outlawed those things, but they – yeah. yeah I still have one on my – They fling off I still have head. one on my tractor, you know. You so really? out that was farm. such a thing in high school. Like, do not put that on your steering wheel because right. the cops will bust you. Yep. I was terrified about that. Okay, well, I had a Brody knob at nine. I couldn't do much with it, nor did – I had the Brody knob and the change maker, two things I couldn't use. He used it as a – Put it on the outside of your fist. Punch somebody in the face. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Grandpa takes you under his wing. Well, so uh, a how few old? years later. What, so, how, were you four? Were you two? Before he started pushing this on you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I was kind of born into it. I mean, so all my those grand- pictures of you as a kid. Yeah. What documentation? So my what grandfather. Pictures? What are we talking about? Come on. You won't. Yeah, you follow. He, he doesn't thing? follow me. No. I so, do yeah. see. He's I got, got <laughs> pictures of like three years old in the I coolest cars I follow we want today. He's three. He's in. Oh really? I just missed He's. He's hanging off the car. No. Yeah. I yeah. have a question about a photo on your feed, but we're going to okay. get to that in a so, little bit. Let's get so, yeah. That. So, you know, everybody know my, my history, my family history goes back to custom cars and right. Fords and Chevys. But then it's like, how did I end up, up in this Porsche world? And right. So in 1961, my grandfather, one of his good friends, the guy Chick Iverson, that had a, yeah. used, had a little used car lot in mm-hmm. Toluca Lake. Yep. He had just purchased the Porsche Volkswagen dealership in Newport Beach. And he says, Neil, he said, you know, you're you're always complaining because nobody wants to do true custom work. They just want to paint cars now because this is now in the 60s. They didn't want to, you know, chop and channel. They just wanted to do crazy paint and, you know, stuff. So he says – and insurance work was coming in. So, you know, and it wasn't the same in the 60s as it was in the 50s, true custom building and, and hot mm-hmm. rodding. So Chick says, come to work for me. So my grandfather packed up the family, moved to Newport Beach, 
and became the, the body shop manager of Chick Iverson Volkswagen Porsche. My dad had just graduated high school. So he went to work at the dealership as a detailer and then became parts manager. So, uh, you know, my dad's the parts manager. My grandfather's the body shop manager. My uncle is my grandfather's apprentice. So that was in the 60s. And then in the 70s, right before I was born, my dad um, had an opportunity. He, he saw that all these Porsche dealerships, um, all, back then there were dealerships in literally every other city. I mean, there were, there were like 100 in the state of California. Little teeny Little sh- things, two, wow. three cars, mm-hmm. yeah, right? All over the place. Um, and, you know, wait, we, wait you're, you're, so Neil is your grandfather. What's your dad's name? Gary. And your Gary. uncle is Don? Is Don, right. yeah. So, and who, who, how many of them had beards? Uh, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> they were all bearded yeah, except guys, for me. Right? I'm the only I'm the bearded only non-bearded guy. So, <laughs> so my dad, he's running the parts department, and this is a pretty fascinating story because here's here's all these Porsches. Porsche was building mm-hmm. 356s, the 912s, 911s, and then the, later in the 60s they were developing the you know the 914, and then the 914s came out. So there were all these different models, and the cars were changing so rapidly in those years that the parts departments were filling up, literally like exploding with parts. They didn't have any room for them. So all of these little dealerships were sending all the stuff back to these big warehouses. And there was one um, right here in Los Angeles, which was the largest one, because back then Volkswagen of America controlled and handled all of the parts distribution for Porsche, Volkswagen, and Audi. Mm -hmm. My dad's like, okay, so all these parts are going back. What are they doing with them? They were throwing them away and they were crushing them because they didn't have space. Okay, so imagine four cam engines. Oh, no. Imagine no. pallets of CB hood mounted like Oscar fog lights right. being crushed. Ugh. So my dad was just heartbroken. It, it gutted him. So he went to Chick and he said, Chick, he said, we have to rescue all these parts. So they struck a deal with Porsche, Volkswagen of America, and they bought all of Porsche, Volkswagen, and Audi distributor obsolescence. So they weren't allowed to cherry pick the stuff, they had to take it all but they were able to get it for six cents on the dollar, right? Wow. So imagine being able to take all this stuff. So they they rented a big warehouse, which is, you know where Period Correct is in Costa mm-hmm. Mesa? Yeah. That building was my dad's building starting in the early 70s. Wow. So my dad starts packing all these parts in this building and says, Chick, what, you know, let's sell this stuff. And that's what started Porsche Parts Obsolete, which was the first real vintage, yeah. like modern, you know, like new parts for vintage Porsches. Mm-hmm. And so in 74, I was born. You know, my dad had a little 66 911 with uh, an IROC tail and, you know, just all kinds of, like, cool parts because he, he could get stuff immediately, right? <laughs> 66 he had a 66, tail. He had a 66 911. What the hell? Was that a picnic table? It was in 74, right? Uh-huh. So, so the IROC tail came, so my dad's like, and, and he had, uh, and he <laughs> had, crazy, and he had RSR flares on it, and it was just the most badass little 911, right? Wow. So well, my, mom, flares will balance my mom's ready to pop, so, you know, he races her to Hogue Hospital. I'm born, and races me home in a fat fendered IROC modified 911, right? 66. A 66. So the the whole, you know, you now pop that it, mic in front of you there. Yeah. So so I really was just kind of born into this, you right. know, as far as the the kind of culture. And then um, by 3, 4, 5 years old, I was in the parts department with my dad. My mom had sent me to work with my dad and you know, while everybody else is playing with Legos and Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs, I was literally in the shop trying to just kind of fit stuff together. And by eight or nine years old, uh, my grandfather um, started showing me how to gas weld, 
And uh, by 10 years old, I was, um, you know, rebuilding like small engines. And then when I was 12, I got a job as like a 10. Yeah. 10 years old. This is like a story from so wait, the wait, 30s. Yeah, wait, wait. What engine are you rebuilding? Because I have a 10 year old. So I he can barely write his name I on raced, a piece of I, paper. What do, you, what do you mean? I raced Honda three wheelers. You remember the old three wheelers, the little death <laughs> machines, right. right? No, I don't no. remember those. What are those? <laughs> Motorcycles? It's or? a motorcycle with three wheels, right? Oh, okay. Trike. Yeah. Oh, the okay. trike. <laughs> yeah. So they were, they, so this was, this was early 80s. Right. And so my dad got me a little Honda 110. I rebuilt the engine on that. I got a 250R. What do you I mean? You just you took it apart I by literally, yourself. Next time you talk to my dad, just all you have to say is Honda 250R, <laughs> and he will tell you a two-hour story about how he freaked out when he came into my little workshop and saw the engine of my 250R completely – this is a brand-new bike – completely apart. Gears right. – Crank out. But everything. how did you approach that? Did you know going into this engine rebuild, I'm going to probably screw this up, or did you have someone ask questions? I was ten. You... I was the most confident, you know, <laughs> ten years. But I, I, you I know, had we... no fear, right? You you're this. pulling apart like I, I used to take apart everything in my house yeah. just because I was bored. I'd pull apart radios, but never put it back together. Right, but I could never get it back together. How did you? I had a workshop manual. And I just read you did. the stuff. So you had a manual. Yep. You went and I down just to the part I blew shop. the thing apart because right. I grew up in my dad's parts department, that's good. going through the old right. microfiche machines. You remember the old microfiche? Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned Porsche parts. Was going through there. I would I would pull the microfiche. I'd put it in there. I'd look for a part. You know, at the time it was like a Sebring exhaust. So much fun. And I'd pull it. You know, Sebring exhaust. Look at exhaust a little on figure. The, and I'd look at the little, little figure. Line, and I'd blow it up. Like, and where then do I find that? I'd get the part number. And then I'd go back in my dad's warehouse and I'd find that part, right? Oh, wow. It was like it was like treasure hunting yeah. at six years old, you oh, know? that's great. So I, I was just kind of like I learned – I just fell in love with like parts and mechanical stuff. And so I started rebuilding engines and then I got hired by a top fuel drag racing team when I was 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid, work around these fl- so, highly flammable objects. So, <laughs> and we're only going to pay you and here's a, We'll pay you in cigarettes, kid. Yeah. So it, literally, that's the way it was. It was like Bad News Bears. It was yeah. all of us. On the, but you're flipping out, right? Because I was flipping these out. cool guys who drag race want you to work for them. Absolutely. It's the greatest. So a guy named Tom Topping, who actually used to own the building that- uh, What do he, they want you to do for them? I was the left side engine mechanic. So I tore apart the left side of the engine and then at put 12. it back together at 12. Wow. And then um, by 13, our team was um, nostalgia top fuel drag racing champions. And then no the kidding. following year, we were hired by a team uh, that had just bought uh, Shirley Muldowney's 86 car. And we ran it in, in HRA in-, in, uh, in 97. Wow. So, so when you're rebuilding the left side of the engine, where are you doing this? In your dad's shop or is there no, some this is, shop with them or this you're is on at, the this track? Is at, or? This is at Fremont Drag Race. You're there you're, at the or, track, or, or, right? You know, we were at, either at Fremont or Seattle or wherever the, the so race was, Pomona. You're traveling with a bunch of dudes at 12? I was traveling with a whole motorhome full of dudes. <laughs> and what was happening 13, to biology class What's going math. on with school? <laughs> so there was a guy named Tom Topping that Did started- no parents know anything? You no. just hopped in a van with some weird dudes? With, with and, a whole uh, a whole band of, uh, of mechanics. Wow, Have you ever fun. been to the Long Beach High Performance Swap Meet? <laughs> yeah, okay. I actually okay. have. So that was started by Tom Topping, and Tom Topping was the crew chief chief and owner of our team. So when wow. I was 12, he hired me to travel with him and his team, and I would travel all over the country building drag race engines. Wow. And uh, so I fell in love with the actual like racing side of things. And then by 14... I can't imagine letting my 12-year-old start traveling with a group of guys around the country... I mean, what is that even like? Do it. What are they getting you a hotel room and we you were, would check in, then go down at the bar and have a cigarette with everybody? I, and, I, like, I didn't what? smoke, I didn't drink, but I definitely had a great time. And and uh, it was yeah, that's 
that's the deal. When you're hang, when you're that age and you're hanging out with all these older cool guys, don't you feel like you've been made? Absolutely, you're absolutely. Totally it was, made at that moment. Well, but it, like it I'm also getting away with murder, right? It also helped mature me, and I, you know, right. I kind of I learned life skills, and I was traveling around racing, and then. There came a point where I'm like, you know what? What I about the girls? On were there girls? There were girls everywhere, but you know, they're 14 years old, right? <laughs> but you're so this good-looking 12-year-old kid. <laughs> well, good-looking girls making don't money. Don't you remember what that's like when you're in? I used to work, you know, a, I used to bar back in bars, but sometimes I would be, you know, I think 60 or 17 years old. You're always this young guy in this situation where these and the girls loved it. Oh, well, they just but loved you it. said good-looking, but remember, this was uh, 1986, 87, so I had long you hair had and uh, full-on. Well. Uh, when we were drag racing, I had I had you know a, a fullet, you know it was all long, you know. <laughs> wow! Uh, but uh, that's but, a completely different guy. And and uh, <laughs> and did you guys win? Were there big losses, or the left side of the engine blow, and they would all blame the twelve year old? Absolutely. Would they go, what are you doing? Well, so there were. <laughs> there why were, did we hire this? There were sixth graders. <laughs> no, 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 no. So get <laughs> to this. Fix the engine. So, so get this. So the entire crew. Yep. Were twelve to fifteen years old. Come on. So. Our driver was a guy. Like a Siegfried and Roy. Uh, did, did I not? Did I not tell you that it was like bad news bears, right? So Tom Tom Topping had a son, yeah. Gene. Uh, he was the uh, the bottom side mechanic. He was my age. We went to school together, and then uh, another kid, Jason Oliver, that now runs the high performance swap meet. He was the right side mechanic, and then I was the left side mechanic. And so we wow. we were three guys uh, that were twelve to fifteen years old traveling around the country, and we were nostalgia top field drag racing champions. Winning everything because we we practiced harder, we worked harder, and Tom would run us through drills. So we had a garage in Tribuco Canyon where every day after school we'd come home from school and he would drill us on tearing the engine down and putting it back together and and teaching us you know what to look for. And so in 45 minutes from a hot pass, you know, running 692 in a front engine top fuel dragster, we could bring the car into the pit, we could tear it down hot, put fresh rings – Pistons back in, fuel system back on, chute packed, clutch redone, and done in 45 minutes, ready for the next run. Incredible. And so it was just this this kind of culture. Did you ever get injured, burned? All the time. <laughs> My hands were calloused <laughs> as a kid. You could touch a hot end. I could touch a hot end. You could touch anything. All so right, anyways. We're talking to Rod Emery. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with more <laughs> Spikes Car Radio. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times, this isn't the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. This just happened to my brother. Well, with TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. And don't we all want to feel confident? Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. There are over 13,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. You will work directly with a TrueCar Certified Dealer contact. TrueCar users are more likely to enjoy a fast buying process when they connect with TrueCar Certified Dealers. TrueCar users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. And guess what? I'm not telling you what features. 
and what states. Hey, my name is James Petrogallo. I'm Jimmy Wisman. Please join us every single Tuesday for Crime in Sports. So fun. You like sports? You don't have to. Let's just set up a context and find out what an idiot did wrong. What I do like you say? It. I'm in. We're going to do that each and every week. We take an athlete, we break him down, we make fun of everything he's ever done. Yeah. But in order to do that, we have to build up and tell you all about their career and get you to what, James? To grace. grace. And then right. watch them fall from grace Who as they inevitably like do. Join us. Big criminals, small yeah. criminals, sports you've never heard of. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's the crime. It's the comedy. It's such a good time. Join us it. every Tuesday for Crime in Sports. You can join us every Tuesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on all Apple products. Find us every Tuesday and laugh at people. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. All right, we're back with Rod Emery from Emery Motorsports and The Real Zuckerman and me, of course, Spike First and from Spike's Car Radio. We were chatting, you know, when whenever I throw a commercial break, everybody relaxes and they really start talking. <laughs> and uh, Zuckerman and Rod Emery are in a bro bromance right now. They've never <laughs> met. They have a little Instagram girly accounts and they're all excited to meet That's each right. other. Yes. And, he, and, uh, and I've just learned that I haven't been to Rod Emery's new shop. I was at your Burbank shop. And I was blown away. And yeah. there's now something bigger and better. We're what, two miles down the road. Right. Um, we just uh, we moved in. And before uh, I before yeah. I get into that, I just want to uh, uh, Emory Motorsports. What is your mission statement for the people who don't know who you are, Rod? <laughs> to continue to save every Porsche 356 and and models that I you know that I get my hands on, and and to just continue to evolve and and uh, build cars that people want to drive. You're a builder, and your 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 primary builds are uh, Porsche Outlaws, right? Correct. Do you restore cars back to uh, preservation cars, or are you just doing Outlaws? Uh, are you bespoke, or what? what is it? Yeah, what is it? Well, we build about 12 cars a year, and um, 10 of those – you know, on average, are all three for six outlaws or Emory specials, which are mm-hmm. you know kind of the cars that I'm known for. But we always have one or two special projects that uh, that I'll do that I'll take a car exactly back to a point in time. Right. You know, there's plenty of guys out there that do an amazing job building full concourse three for six C coupes. Uh, that's not the space that I'm in. Uh, but you know, the last uh, one of the last cars I restored was the first Porsche race car and the first Porsche to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That's so the I, Mun car, right? The 356 the, SL. Yeah. yeah. So I, We've I, seen a lot I of that took car. that car exactly back to how it raced in 1951. That's a pretty big cherry that you got that commission. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm sure there were a few other guys out there that would have given their own. You know, I've made a major that. contribution to that restoration. Yes, you did. A very giant one. If not the oh, biggest I was there. contribution. I yep. was there when you did And I, I have a special text. <laughs> I have a special, uh, you know, little, um, you know. Tell everybody about what happened. Because it was so, it was such a funny little moment. You have a picture of me that same night laying. I do. In, yes. I do have a picture right. that I keep very special here on that my was, phone. And I'll. Someday I'll put it up on Instagram for everybody to see. I'm pulling it up right now so you can see it. This is, I believe, Rod, here you can look at this picture. Is that the picture you're talking about? Yes, that is This is Zuckerman in all his splendor laying back, uh, pointing and telling us why he's right and wrong about everything. (laughs) And and that was about (laughs) – we love this picture of him. And you can see the beautiful Porsches in the background. It's in Jerry's hangar, hangar 9, the porn hangar, by the way. We call it the porn (laughs) hangar because before Mr. Seinfeld took possession, they were shooting pornographic movies in the hangar. And I, I was lucky enough to be able to tour it. I've been at the airport for 20 years. I didn't know this was going. There were there were 10 showers in it, little rooms and then showers right next to Disgusting. it. And they'd been just cranking out porn for decades in there. Now 
it's Seinfeld. Anyway, this is the day that uh, we were going through a little book of pictures, and I'll let you pick it up from right there because we found a picture of a very special car in there. Yeah, what an amazing day that was for me. So this was um, about three or four weeks before uh, Pebble Beach 2016. Right, right, that's right. And I'd been on a journey of uh, uh, discovering and then restoring Porsche's first race car and uh, the first Porsche to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And, you know, there's very limited information about that car. That's and, right. Uh, the, and if you want to have a look at it, everybody, it's on his Instagram feed. It's It's got a four and a six on it. Yeah. You'll see it. Silver. All right. Amazing car. And, and uh, you know, the, the history was lost. Um, you know, there were four cars that were built uh, so that they could start the testing and then and then show up at Le Mans in 1951. And uh, one of the cars was totaled and, and uh, destroyed. And then the other three were prepared but only two went to Le Mans in 1951. And of those two, uh, the number 47 car crashed in night practice, so it never made the start of the race, and the number 46 car was the winner. Then after that, the cars were brought back to the factory, and um, they were reprepared, and the cars were then uh, eventually sold to the United States. So in 1952, the cars came to the U.S. As and customer cars. They didn't waste anything no. back then. Well, they needed money. They needed yeah. cash. You know, they, they were a small, starving little car company. When you say company. they were customer cars, they were sold to customers on a, by a dealer? So, yeah, the three cars that, were, that had been prepared for Le Mans, uh, Max Hoffman imported them into the United States. They got here in January of, of 1952. Max sold the three cars. One of them went to Mexico to compete in the La Carrera Panamericana. That was chassis number 54. One of them stayed on the East Coast to race, which is chassis number 55. And then chassis number 63... Uh, which is uh, the car that I restored, was brought to the West Coast. And John von Neumann was one of those Porsche dealers that I was talking about, little yeah. Porsche dealerships all over the you know, Southern California these are the basin. the titans of the early racing days, all these names. Yeah, John von Neumann had competition motors on Ventura Boulevard right. in Studio City, mm-hmm. and, uh, or whatever they called it then, it, Studio City now. But uh, he was a race car driver, and he took this little 356 SL, Raced it three times. He raced it at Golden Gate Park. Well, he raced it first at the Pebble Beach Road Races. Then, oh, can you uh, imagine? Then Torrey Pines. Can you imagine the Pebble mm. Beach? Those those trees, that road, and that car, Zuckerman. We're up glory there bombing days, around. Glory the glory days, days right? Yeah, Holy it was amazing. Moly. Little tiny tires and hay bales, you know. Yeah. So um, he raced it three times: uh, Pebble Beach, Torrey Pines, and Golden Gate Park. And then he's like. I got to make this thing lighter and faster. <laughs> so he took it over the hill, Hollywood Boulevard. There was right. a, there was a. How light is it yeah. at that point, anyways? Though well, thirteen hundred and fifty pounds, that's, right? It's, and he's got to make know. it lighter. Yeah, and he's right. going to make it lighter. So right, a modern day uh, Porsche is what about the light 3, ones are three thousand pounds, yeah. right? Yeah, so this thing's like fourteen hundred pounds. Right. So he's going to make it lighter and faster. So and what's he, the horsepower of a car like that at that uh, point? Uh, Fifty or sixty? Forty-five horsepower. 45. So there was a there was a coach builder on Hollywood Boulevard, Emil Deet. And uh, he was a famous guy. He was he a famous guy. Some Duesenbergs yeah, and some other some weird amazing stuff. stuff, right? Yes. So Emil, uh, John von Neumann takes the, <laughs> the little 356 SL to Emil and says, cut the roof off. So they cut the roof off. They cut the rear deck lid out. They removed the dash, and they made it look like, you know, a spider as mm-hmm. close to it as possible. And then von Neumann raced, continued to race it as a convertible. And then in uh, 1956, a guy named Chuck Forge purchased the car. And he owned it from 1956 until he died in 2009. Whoa. Um, and I had known Chuck, you know, most of my life, uh, you know, going to the Monterey Historics mm-hmm. and putting my head in his deck lid uh, opening and looking at the car. What was he doing with the car? Was he keeping it to himself or was Racing he Racing it, it at the Monterey Historics he, every, oh, single every single year. year. So it was out there. Every wow. single Did he year. Did know it was a Le Mans car? No. 
He did no. not. No. What did he think it was? Uh, one of the SLs that came to the U.S. He right. had a hunch that it was one of three cars. Right. It, the, the winning car was 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 definitely one of those three cars, but nobody knew which one because, for one, uh, there was no documentation on chassis numbers that said which car was number 46, 47, or the other car. So then how do you verify it? Well, that's where I come in. So, and that's where the story for me really begins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 46 car was a car that I loved as a child, as a kid. I'm growing up in my dad's parts building, and, you know, you, you kind of gravitate towards certain cars. And mm-hmm. uh, the number 46 car was a car that I've always just admired. When I built my first car when I was 14 years old, it was a 53 coupe. And I modeled it after the 46 car. I split the windshield, which a 53 doesn't have a split windshield. Mm-hmm. And it also has external bumpers, right? So my first car that I built, I split the windshield, I put body bumpers on it, I drilled holes to put fog lights in the front, I put hood straps on it, mm-hmm. and built a vintage race car that was like my version of right. the number 46 car. How close was it? Well, it, it wasn't a replica. It was yeah. just inspired right. by it. Where right? is this car right now? Um, I donated it to charity in oh, 2010. That's so a whole other story. It still exists. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, so um, I've always been a kind of a, a student of that car, right, and the right. early Porsche right. stuff. And and when people say, oh, Rod, you know, you, you build outlaws, well, I'm really just building cars just like Porsche did when they built their race cars mm-hmm. in the early days, making them lighter, making them faster, better lights, you know, better drivability. So at the races – Monterey Historics all, every year I'd go and you know one of the cars that I gravitated to was this little 356 Roadster because it was one of the SLs and so I started kind of looking at it and and I'm like there's something different and uh, one of my clients loved that car which is the owner of the 356 SL Cameron mm-hmm. Healy and uh, we said man someday we got to own that car and when Chuck Forge was alive he says I'm going to keep it until the day I die well when he passed away his estate contacted a few people, possibly even uh, your buddy Jerry. I don't know. But I was one of those first calls. When they said, Rod, Chuck Forge's car is for sale, I said, we'll take it. And just, we like, it. just like that? Just like that. Wow. We'll take it. Uh, I because wish I could have asked the question, but I'm not. <clears throat> no, you – yeah. No. Go ahead. <laughs> He's I, not going to answer. It's gauche. It's gauche. I, I <laughs> yeah. want to know. It's not. What did it – well, yeah. What was it? What was it? What was not the number? Much. What was it? Well, I can't disclose exactly what the number was, but um, – Was it seven figures? It was It was near seven, right? Oh, so what right. a bargain. Oh, my Jeez. God. Well, Jeez. it was – you know <clears> – but still, you, you think about what you're getting at that point. You're getting a lot of – there's some question it's, marks. It's, but it's That's a modified a race car. It's a modified race car, right? It doesn't have its original engine anymore? Right. No. Of course not. No. Yeah. So, you're, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a, you're rolling the dice. So here we are. You know, here's a car that um, that we had a hunch was one of the, the mm-hmm. Lamar winning cars. And my, my client – hunch. My, my, that's uh, sort of my, money on a hunch. My, uh, my you know, good friend Cameron Healy says, you know, Rod, let's, let's dig deep. Let's figure out what this car is. Let's see if we can discover the history. And uh, got together with guys like Dirk Lair and everybody else mm-hmm. that I knew. And then I, I, I made a call to um, – uh, Imagine if they said it's a Toyota MR2. What? <laughs> I made I made a call <laughs> to, to, screwed. to as many friends as I had that had Gamoon cars. Right. Uh, Dave Sealand had uh, a 52 Le Mans right. um, SL. Did you uh, call Miles Jerry's Collier. got one? Yep. How many of these Gamoon cars are there's that guy in Sweden? Oh, is there's it, is that well, there's, who's, who's that guy we met, Zuckerman, that had a bunch seven of them? Seven or eight, yes. <laughs> he said yeah. seven or eight Probably Gamuns? Robert Brocker. Or, uh, Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, he, he, there, there's quick. not very many, but you know, there, were 50, there were 50 chassis numbers or serial numbers. What are you saying? Like... Uh, can I come and, and take a look at your car? And, right. And, and what then, are you looking for? Welds well, or? So Miles Collier's car 
um, is the number 55 car. So it mm-hmm. was one of the sister cars to this. Okay. So I asked Miles if I could come and 3D scan the car. Oh. And and dig deep and find out as much information as I could because I was going to restore this one. Right. I've known Miles my whole life. When he bought the Cunningham, the Briggs Cunningham collection, he was storing some of the cars at my dad's shop. So I met him when I was about nine or ten years old, and right. so you know, kind of kept. Me. So when uh, when I reached out to him, he said absolutely, uh, and he let How me do come you and three D scan a car. What are you, what are you doing? Um, you, use, you use a 3D scan. We've got uh, a couple different versions. We've got a Faro arm, which is like a big, tw- you know, six foot arm that that you can uh, right. that you can wave over the thing. Can you use 3D scan a person? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you, you want me? No, and, I, want, and, I want to do him. We, we, can, we, can, we, we, we can, I'm not an interesting we, no, body shape, Zuckerman. You want, would be perfect. No, we want we can cardboard 3D. cutouts. This is what yeah. we want to send to the LA oh, car show instead of ourselves. We can 3D scan him and we can <laughs> 3D print him. <laughs> why? Why are we sending them? I don't want to go, but I want. You don't have to go. They don't care. My old picture there, <laughs> right? Well, anyway, so, so you're you start to become reasonably confident that this is the car you how, thought it was. How? Yeah, what is the moment, the, the eureka moment? What's there the were, smoking gun or guns? Well, there were, there were 14 physical characteristics that that I discovered that were that made us 100 percent confident that this was the Lamar wow. winning car. Oh, so wait a second. Does Porsche agree with you now? Haven't told him yet that I have that we're doing this. Okay, so no, we have now, the car these so, days today. So, we have this document with all these with all this physical evidence, mm-hmm. and then Jeff Zwart uh, reached out to Porsche and said, "You guys have this uh, really cool event coming up, Rensport 2015, and you're promoting the Legends of Le Mans, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a display with the 919 that had just won, the 917, which is the first overall winner." Mm-hmm. He says, "What are you going to do about the first win at Le Mans?" And they said, "Well, we'll bring the museum car, which is a representation of that. It wasn't the winning car." And he said, how about the car that won? And they said, well, tell us more. Wow. So he presented my package of, of documentation to him. They reviewed it. They put out a press release a week later. And it was beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wow. The first Porsche go. race car, the first car to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And ka-ching. And so at that point, <laughs> and, the car, and so, but this is- The money. The money. Jesus, in. I can't stop thinking about so it. So here, this I is not strangle much him. money. Give this me some is, money. No, come on, come on. He doesn't own the car. Not, I don't know. Uh, come on. If you kill so, him, you still don't own so the car. So this, this is nine months. This <laughs> is get to the guy I need to kill. We were there. We yeah. saw it. I know. This was nine months before Rensport. And you were not And there was no- Quite there, I, I, I no, it's I, I hadn't put the roof on. There's it no yet. roof, Zuckerman. It's just a hollow husk. It's a wheelbarrow. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's a wheelbarrow. so Zwart says, Zwart says, Zwart says, hey Rod, can you pull this off? And I said, absolutely. So, <laughs> That's so the twenty right answer. So if you're 20, listening, if anybody challenges you, always say that. Especially someone you say, yeah, I can do it, and then go home, close the door, and then freak out. But that's such a recipe for success. I've heard that over and over again. Just, right? Yep. Don't tell the truth in that moment. <laughs> just get it done. <laughs> well. So we had – Porsche said that's – and we told them that we were going to display it in bare aluminum uh, uh-huh. and bare steel so that everybody could really see the true car and see right. that it wasn't just a replica. Uh-huh. And that was really because you weren't going to be able to finish it. Yeah. I mean, there, well, <laughs> yeah. well, no, there, there was no there was no way that we were going to be yeah, able to finish course, it. Yeah, of course. Of um, course. And, and we didn't want to shortchange the restoration. We wanted right. to do it right. But we knew – I knew that we could get it in a, in a state that it could be, um, you know, a complete representation of, of the car. And uh, we displayed it at, at Pebble – or at – at Monterey for mm-hmm. at Laguna Seca, it was beautiful, and yeah. uh, everybody like fell in love with it again, just like they did when it won. And explain to everyone how I saved the day. That's yeah. that's. Yeah. I'm, that's getting the I'm getting there. I'm getting there because I'm getting there because that's 12 months later, right? <laughs> so so now the car is is in restoration. 
and uh, Rensport Reunion goes, and then everybody says, uh, we got to have this thing at Pebble Beach uh, in one yeah. year. So I've got to now get this car. We're not just building a race car. Now we're taking it exactly back to a point in time, right? And is the owner saying to you, whatever it takes, Rod, I don't do care what, you what do. this costs, just it wasn't it. about money. This was about preserving history. Right. And, well, it's and, always about money. It, I mean, you're doing an awful lot of work. Yeah. But was, he just gave you carte blanche to do whatever you want. To well, get it, was, it, it was a. It was. It, it's Cameron was my first client. I started right. building cars for him in 1993. Right. So this is a long-standing relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's never a question of, uh, you know, because. I've always taken care of him. He's always taken care of me. Mm-hmm. So it was, let's get this car done. Let's do it exactly the way that it needs to be, and let's get it right. Mm-hmm. And so we had to pick an exact point in time to restore the car, which was Le Mans, because race cars evolve, right? right. They change. Exactly. Every race, the car is different. So we chose Le Mans 1951, but there's only a handful of pictures. There's only a handful <laughs> of documentation. Right. There's very limited information. And uh, Cameron went to the Porsche archives. They gave him what they had. I scanned everybody's cars. I dug through everybody's history. Jerry let me come and, uh, you know, peel the Look carpet back on run. his car and, and what really. Is it, what, what does Porsche have as far as files, like from 1951, when you say they, they go into their archives? What does that look like? Is that like a, a manila folder that they open up? No, or at the they, museum, they've got an amazing archives <clears throat> department. They do. They do. And is it micro? How, how does it come uh, to you? Photographs and uh, digital stuff. They're, they're digitizing everything. I've never been there. but So do you, it was your sense that they're now collecting that stuff? And putting it in files or that all along they've been keeping records like this? Because my sense of them is they, they weren't really keeping good records back they, then, They right? weren't really keeping good records. They were a small company that was building cars right. in a barn and stuff was getting moved from building to building. And so now they're kind of feverishly putting all that together so it'll be but, there. Uh, a lot of the files from the 50s were burnt in a fire. I don't know the details of the fire, but um, there was a lot of records and pictures mm-hmm. and documentation that disappeared in the 50s. And so it was a challenge, a big challenge. And we had to – I had to recruit a lot of the guys at Porsche, um, uh, Thorsten Klein, Grant Larson, Tony Hatter, all the new Porsche right, designers right. Mm-hmm. that I personally know. They reached out to everybody they knew to get as much information as possible. The only way that we got the interior information was Herbert Linga is the only living person that was on the build team and one of the mechanics back in 51, 52. So he helped us understand what the interior was like, the colors, the type of materials, um, along with um, Frank Young, the historian at Recaro, which used to be uh, Reuter. Reuter Mm -hmm. was the coach builder, later became Recaro. Frank Young is the historian there. He helped me with a bunch of stuff. But there were still unknowns. I had never seen inside the engine compartment of the car. I had never seen pictures of the number 47 crashed car. We didn't know what the aero plates were underneath the car. So here I am. It's a month before Pebble Beach. I've, you know, literally worked 18 to 20 hours a day from Rensport Reunion until this point. The car, I'm, I'm just finished painting the car. Mm-hmm. It's um, late July. I'm sitting in my office with my son, and I said, Zane, I said, I'm about to drill holes that are either going to make or break me. And he says, well, what do you mean? And, you know, so we're kind of – I said, I got to figure out what the components were, the orientation, the configuration on the firewall of the engine compartment. And I need to know what the aero plates look like underneath the car. I said, and I'm stressed to the max. And so we start doing research. We start doing research. It was not even a half an hour after that conversation <laughs> with so my son. I mean, I got I, – it was the most – it was the most surreal um, situation I've ever had in my life. Let me mm-hmm. just put it to you that way. It's, it's a moment. It's it, – you know, you have five or ten mm. 
things in your life that are like a defining moment or something that you'll never forget. Mm-hmm. It was a text that I received <laughs> from some nutcase that doesn't Sitting even across that from you. doesn't even, that doesn't even he's not in my you know I've never been privileged enough to have his phone number and um, and he's, I'm on the other side of town smoking a cigar and and here, drinking here, a diet here, coke, just laughing, wise having about fun, it. having fun. So here, That's my what... son and I are, are sitting there trying to figure out because I've got to drill holes. Right? And, no, and, I remember. And, and less than a month later, this right. car is going to roll out on the lawn, and whether they're going to figure it out or not, but they could have a picture that I don't have. Right. Right. So here I am, stressed out, and I get this text, and boom, it's an engine compartment picture. And I, just, I, I look at Zane, and I just drop my phone. And then, boom, another photo shows up. And then I, th- and I think I can almost quote what I said. I said, these pictures are amazing. Who, Who is, is this? this? Right. And where did you get these? And then, boom, boom, more pictures. And I said to Zane, I said, somebody – and I don't cuss. Right. I said, somebody is effing with me right now. <laughs> but I, you know, and he looks at me and he says, Dad, he goes, this is so crazy. I don't know what's going it on, right? It was really crazy. And we're going back and forth. Really and then crazy. I, and, then, and then I, the next message was, it's Spike and Jerry. <laughs> and I just, I just like, was like, you've got to be kidding me. It was so funny. Now, on our side of it, we were just going out to smoke cigars in, in, in the porn hangar. And Jerry's like, hey, look at this book I just found. I think I've had this for 15 years. He's got this whole he goes, trove he goes, of stuff. And he goes, I'm pretty sure. He goes, look at this spike. I'm pretty sure this is the car Rod's working on. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, my it looks gosh. like it. Should I, do, you, do you think I should offer it to him? He goes, yeah, I don't care. Go take a picture. So we started sending you pictures. <laughs> um, like, I'm not going to tell him who it is. And we'll see if he can figure it out, the car and who it was. But, boy. Unbelievable. We, we were blown away when we realized – that you needed to see that we we were all floored by it. Floored. It was we were it like, could I not have... believe that this this picture book bubbled up into Seinfeld. You know, he's flying around in a plane every other day, right? Okay, so he just happens to walk in his hangar full of crap and find that. And there's a lot of crap there, a lot of crap. And he brings that and that alone to the cigar smoke. He goes, hey, look at this. He's got well, what, a whole shipping container of this stuff, and he happens beyond, to stumble across no, 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 this beyond a shipping container. Yeah, it's every hanger is loaded with crap. Unbelievable, right? So, okay, so including some very special wedding photos. Ooh. We can't talk about. So, this. from my standpoint, here I am. Here I am. I am floored, blown away, super excited, and then reality hits because I'm looking at these photos, right? The ones that you had sent me, which were of an engine compartment. And I just said to Zane, I said, I said, this is terrible. <laughs> it's all and wrong? I said, this is terrible. I said, I've got all this new information. I said, but now I've got to change a ton of stuff. Mm. And I've only got three weeks to do it. Aye, aye, aye. So Jerry says, you know, I'm going to send the book over to you. Mm-hmm. And he had, um, you know, Gianni get it together. And, and then my dad went and picked it up and brought it to me. Luckily, it was loaded. The pictures you had sent me. Fortunately for me, we're not of that engine compartment, oh, although it was right next to a picture of our car in the book. Oh, there you go. Right? So that's why for <clears> you, <throat> you see the picture of the car in the book right, with the right. dude standing outside. Yeah. It looks like there's bullet holes in the side of the that's car. That's right. And then there was an engine picture right next to it, but that wasn't the engine compartment for this car. There's a number of reasons what, that we – What was that a photo book from? Okay. My best guess – that is not public information. Those right. photos – Those are personal photos. Those photos were personal, and that was a gift or something from somebody within to another person in Porsche because there was a lot of top secret stuff. Mm-hmm. There were photos of the crash car of mm-hmm. every single angle, which solved my aeroplate situation. Oh, there you go. That book revealed 
probably <laughs> no joke 50 details wow that i was able to apply or confirm on the restoration right right because i was now able to see it was like having x-ray vision because here's the number 47 car smashed on every corner which Nobody's ever seen those photos. <laughs> Smashed on every corner. And I can see inside the fender that's ripped <clears throat> off and the aero plate's pulling down. So now I can see inside oh, the car. Right. It was like having a, 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 an x-ray scan oh of, of the cars, right? It's amazing. So I found out all these details. But more importantly, what that book did for us is it helped us confirm on a completely another level that this car was for sure the Le Mans really? winning car. But it also gave me the information that I needed to prove which car was the number 47 car oh, right? and which car was the test car and which car was the Liège-Rome-Liège car, which car was the Montfleury 1500cc car. It's amazing. This which is, this car is proof, went by the to... way, that there's a god and he likes Porsches. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> That he's a Porsche fan. So, because why, why else would that have happened? It, it, unbelievable. So is Miles, Porsche aware now of this of, of, of the this significance book? <laughs> no. of the book? No, 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 no. They no. are now. They are now. <laughs> this book, no, I haven't told anybody about the book because who has it? Do you still have it? You no, still I don't have it. it. I, I returned it. Um, well, Jerry's going to lose it. You better get it back. Well, we I, better, we better Jerry, take Jerry did. Of the book. Jerry did let me do a full <laughs> documentation scan of the book for my right. own personal oh, good. use. Good. Okay, but I've never mentioned the book publicly. But Until you brought today. it up. Because well, here you we were are. the one. So, uh, but yes, the book is very significant, and I hope that someday Jerry will collaborate with me and let me either, you know, mm. co-write something with him and dis and and share the gold that's in there on yeah. Porsche's history yeah. because it is un freaking believable not just on on those three cars but also a handful of other things that I would love to share with him sometime. Yeah. But the, so, do we know who ended up with the crashed car? I do. Can you say no? I can't hear. I, I really, okay. I, I really don't think we should because yeah. because it's something that that um, I you know I know I there's know the more details. Coming. There's more to the story. There's we have so much things more. to look forward there to. Right. So and I would, if I owned the crash car, I wouldn't give a crap. Right? It is, yeah. it is it is unbelievable what's in that book. And you know, so Miles Collier <laughs> knows that the book exists mm -hmm. and you know has <laughs> asked book. has the asked book. I'm gonna call this episode the, the book. book. I had no idea that so, this book was so important. We, and, or and that it was a secret. You should you should go back in time, read it in the bathroom. We should because go wasn't that wasn't that called the book? <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna uh, no the bookstore. The bookstore. That, yeah, that was George. We should uh, we're gonna see Jerry this weekend, Zucker. We should I try, think this we book, try to take this, this book. book is the Tell, missing ask link. Ask him to bring the book. No, I'm going to bring the book tomorrow to coffee. Yes, you should. Okay. You will be blown well, this away. This is good because I, you know I'm going to I'm going to wrangle Seinfeld into doing the next podcast. So we'll run that episode right after this, and we'll start with talk about. Did the you book. ever spend now we any... have a reason and to... where the book came from and some of the other yes yeah. and some of the other books he's in possession of yes. <laughs> so like the wedding, the way that book was put. To... You asked about the book. The way the book was put together, it, it's amazing. It's handcrafted. Mm -hmm. It's got an emblem on the front. You yeah. open it up. It's got rice paper in between the the photos, like each page. But it is just the, the people. The clothing they're wearing, yeah, it's the, the details in the buildings, mm -hmm. the photos. There's a photo in there. I'll talk about. The, I'll talk about one photo that was unbelievable. It's a photo in the Reuter factory in 1951 when they were assembling these cars, and they're all the you know Porsche guys were standing around a little cabriolet, and right behind it, I can see the louvered quarter window of the car, and I can see it assembled 
which is just it's just it's those moments. I mean, every page I turned, hair stood up on my arms. Wow. Who was he? It, it, <clears throat> so well, there you go. There was a, you know I asked everybody if they wanted to ask questions to Rod Emery today, and I'm sorry we didn't get to him, but what, someone did say what makes the hair on your arms stand up. Yeah, I, I want to know, Rod, what makes and you just heard it. Well, we are we're out of time, man. This was excellent. Uh, we could go on ever. for another two or three hours. You've got to come back at some point, and we'll talk more My about pleasure. Porsches. In the meantime, follow Rod Emery on Instagram. He's awesome, and I, I follow you there. I saw the Smash GT3 RS. And I, I wanted... pick it up tomorrow. Huh? It's you done? Do? It's, it's fixed. done finally? It's there yep. you go. That makes me happy. Yep. I, that must have been a horrible accident, but we'll talk about that next time. Zuckerman is uh, at The Real Zuckerman, and he just keep in mind, he's, he's, he's a miscreant. He's a vile human being, so if he contacts you on Instagram, don't, don't respond. <laughs> 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 and I'm at Spike first, and you can say hello to me too. This is Spike's Car Radio. We'll see you next week, hopefully, with Seinfeld and Zuckerman and myself out in Malibu. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.